You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In September 1994, the small rural town of Rua, Zimbabwe was forever changed. For several days, people across the region reported seeing mysterious lights in the sky at night, kicking off rumors and speculation about UFO activity in the area. But while these sightings could have been attributed to any number of things, they were just precursors to one of the strangest episodes in recent history. Around 10 a.m. on the morning of September 16, 1994, children at the aerial school went outside for a mid-morning break while their teachers were in a meeting. It was a seemingly normal day, until the children noticed something strange come out of the sky and land in a nearby field. When the 62 children who witnessed the event were later interviewed, they all gave some variation of the same story. Each of them had seen at least one silver disc, possibly more, land in a small circle of trees, and from the disc emerged several quote-unquote men, dressed all in black with large dark eyes, small slit mouths, and odd pale skin. The strange beings communicated with the children, but their mouths never moved. Rather, they spoke to the children with their minds, showing them visions of an apocalyptic earth, warning the children of the future repercussions of Earth's continuing industrialization and environmental devastation. In a panic, the children told their teachers what they had just witnessed, but the teachers chalked it up to nonsense or a prefabricated story and continued on as normal. Then the children went home and told their parents. The next day, the school was bombarded with calls from concerned parents demanding to know why their children had returned home in such distress. Eventually, the story was reported by ZBC Radio, gaining the attention of UFO researcher Cynthia Hind and the BBC's Zimbabwe correspondent Tim Leach. Leach interviewed the aerial school children on September 19th, three days after the incident, and Cynthia Hind interviewed them the following day on the 20th. Both rounds of interviews garnered some truly shocking responses, responses so shocking that they attracted the attention of a Harvard psychology professor named John Mack who had taken a deep interest in various UFO phenomena. At the risk of tarnishing his own career, Mack interviewed the children of the aerial school and, much to the chagrin of his colleagues and the deans of Harvard, Mack wholeheartedly believed the students. It's not mentioned as often as Roswell, the Phoenix Lights, or speculation about ancient aliens, but the aerial school UFO incident is considered by no less an authority than the BBC to be, quote, one of the most significant events in UFO history, and for good reason. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher, All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer, Austin Harvey. And I'm All That's Interesting staff writer, Kalina Fraga. And this week, we're diving into the story of the aerial school UFO incident, perhaps one of the most convincing UFO cases in history.
Mm. It is. It is a <laughs> convincing one uh, from a certain angle. Yeah, we'll I, into it. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We'll get into it. But I have, I have my reasons for why I think it's fairly credible. Mm-hmm. All right. The day was September fourteenth. <laughs> I'm gonna try and I'm gonna serial it. Oh yeah, know, like, do it. Yeah, the day was September fourth. Shit. <laughs> oh, now I have all this pressure. Uh, <laughs> I no. gave up on that really quickly. Yes, in September 1994, uh, 62 children at the aerial school in Rua, Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. reported to their teachers and their parents they saw one or possibly more silver discs land in a nearby field. The interesting thing being that <laughs> it's convenient in a sense. All of the adults at the school, except for like basically the lunch lady were at a meeting hmm. at the time. So there wasn't really any adult there to corroborate what the children said they saw. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Weirdly convenient, but the aliens chose their time. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. Hmm. But kind of mentioned it last time, but to reiterate the point, this is a small rural community with very limited access to modern advancements at mm-hmm. the time. Um, meaning a lot of the children didn't have any televisions at home. They weren't into pop culture and the like UFO zeitgeist in the same way that like American people were. So mm-hmm. whereas somebody like in Lake Michigan would see a light in the sky and think an alien, these kids, a lot of them didn't quite know what they were looking at. And again, harkens back to like the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Hmm. So they, the children said they saw these discs or disc land in a field nearby the school. Um, and I actually there's a map online of the layout of this school. And so you can see where they said they saw this land. It was basically just like on the other side of a fence. I can't remember if that's in the article on the site or not. I think it is. Regardless, it's very easily <laughs> findable, if not on our website. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the kids who like later told their teachers about this said that what they thought were these things called Zivaquambo, uh, which are evil goblins of local folklore for the Shona and Nadebele people. Hmm. So the children reported this to their teachers after recess and the teachers kind of naturally thought that they were making everything up. Yeah. That they were just telling a story. So they're young children. They're not like 17. They're like five to 12. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're very young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they went about the day like normal. And then all of a sudden that night, the school started getting a bunch of calls from concerned parents. Mm-hmm. Like, why did my kid just come home? Absolutely terrified. Yeah. <laughs> telling me this wild story. Right. I mean, you know, worst case scenario, aliens have just visited your children's school. Maybe that that might not even be worst case scenario. That's just like on um, that's like you're not even thinking about that. Like worst case scenario, a pedophile oh. just visited your child's school. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I mean, they're like, hey, I saw this this weird man outside right. my school dressed all in black. And yeah, I, I think we should mention that this school is like a really prestigious prestigious school so like yeah these are the kind of parents who are gonna get involved in their children's lives right and the kind of school who's going to be very concerned if parents are threatening to pull their children out of school because now Absolutely. they're losing tuition money mm-hmm. so yes. there is like a threat for the school to like kind of figure out what's going on mm-hmm. eventually news spread of what the children basically saying yeah we saw flying saucers land and weird plasticky looking gray men come out dressed all in black with Mm. big black eyes and small mouths and large heads that were only a few feet tall. Very classic alien gray. It's interesting that that we mentioned 
two episodes ago in Kelly Hopkinsville, but that they're gray aliens, which is what they were in Kentucky in the 50s. Right. Green. Right. Which I think is another to the point of credibility in the favor of the children. Mm -hmm. If they were saying we saw little green men, it might have just been a story that they heard. Right. But they were very specific and distinct about saying that these men had that they were little men about a meter tall dressed in black shiny suits with long black hair and elongated eyes. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But eventually, yeah, news of this spread. The story is initially told on ZBC radio and then it reached the BBC who asked their Zimbabwe correspondent Tim Leach to go to the school and interview the children about what they saw. <laughs> this like it kind of reminds me of the exploding whale like this reporter yeah. he's like can you go check this out and i'm sure the guy was like oh my god okay but then <laughs> uh, he like has a you know interesting experience the whole story oh, just, it's i mean the stories they told him are so like uniquely bizarre to mm-hmm. this case they talk about seeing the um the little men moving in slow motion hmm. and running towards them and then suddenly being like five to ten meters back as if they were just kind mm-hmm. of like jumping around in yeah. their perception um they the one girl described being afraid of the men and when asked why she said it's because he had evil eyes Eek. which is just like unnerving to yeah. begin with um and then they expanded on that they said what you know why what was what about their eyes was evil and a few of the children who looked into the eyes of these men said that they the uh, I'm just gonna say aliens. The aliens spoke to them, but hmm. never moved their mouths. They spoke to them. They telepathically. Telepathically, yeah, yeah. Hmm. With very like strange, prescient meth messages that, uh, like, I don't think five to twelve year old children would necessarily be focusing on. Hmm. Yeah. The one kid said that the uh, the men warned them that the earth is becoming too technologized and that pollution mustn't be. Yeah. It's crazy. Other kids described like seeing in their heads basically like apocalyptic versions of the earth on fire. Hmm. That's so different from what we've discussed so far is like aliens interacting with people. Yeah. Allegedly. And, and, and allegedly warning them about future environmental disasters if we continue on the path we're going on yeah right definitely i'm trying to think of like what kids would know about the environment or if there were any like incidences that they might have yeah i mean it's definitely possible that they were being taught about pollution and the environment in school yeah like maybe even some of the older kids and then the younger kids were like oh yeah but it's just like well uh, i will kind of get into that a little bit later too um one of the people who ends up becoming involved in this john mack professor of psychiatry at harvard mm-hmm. uh, visited the school apparently john mack had some strong opinions about the environment to put it lightly yes yeah so it's um skeptics of this have have said it's possible the children picked up some of these conservationist ideas from john mack well and because incorporated into the story before john mack showed up I don't think they told the story about the aliens speaking to them. No, that was at a later interview. Yeah. But they with Tim Leach, they explained that they saw men come out and you can the BBC has this footage released. The children described seeing the saucers. They described these things with big eyes. Mm-hmm. Evidently, I mean, they what they said must have been 
disarming because Tim Leach later spoke about it and said, I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this. Mm, yeah. I mean, when children speak, especially when they're telling the same story, that must feel unlike adults. They don't have anything to gain, you know. Right. They're, they're not looking to pull a prank, probably. It must feel like honest from young children yeah. like this. And it might have been one thing, like I, when they initially spoke to their teachers and said this thing happened, that could have been dismissed as a prank. Mm -hmm. But then to go home to like different families and to share the same story. And then again, enough to the point that parents were concerned about like, hey, right. Why is my kid freaking out right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that you could say they were taking the joke too far. But if you're pulling a joke on your teacher, I don't know why you would mention it. Yeah, I think there's to, also to an argument like well. uh, this gets back to what we talked about with like mass hysteria. But when you're a kid and you're like seven and someone says, oh, my God, I saw this thing. I think it's pretty easy for you to be like, oh, I believe that. And I think I saw it, too. I don't know. Right. I think children are pretty impressionable. They're impressionable. And, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I can see how that could have spread amongst them. But there were a lot of I mean, there was 62 kids, right? 62 children. Yeah. yeah. Who said they saw this. So eventually, yeah. So after that initial BBC interview, uh, this woman, Cynthia Hind, caught wind of what was going on. She was much more inclined to believe in UFO stuff. That was kind of like her whole thing. She had a newsletter. Yeah. She's a like professional ufologist or a just UFO. They call her a UFO expert okay. repeatedly. So I don't know what the qualifications are to mm -hmm. be a UFO expert, but. It was a thing that she wrote about often, looked into, um, very much believed. Mm -hmm. She also went to the school to interview the children. Yeah. And this is where they started doing some of the drawings that mm -hmm. they had. Which are very weird, I have to say. They're like super, I mean, they look like children's drawings, but they're all like, there's like, what it's so neat the the things that the recurring motifs throughout, it's like the same patch of trees, mm -hmm. the aliens, I mean, they look like stereotypical aliens but like the number of them the way the craft looks it's all like just a little bit uncanny yeah some of the drawings even have like little notes written on them hmm. of like the aliens saying things yeah they're weird i mean i know i'm pretty sure some of those are in our article they definitely are yeah yeah that's very strange yeah well yeah and then one of those kids ended up becoming an artist as an adult and she still paints pictures of what she saw that day hmm. but her art skills are much better so the drawings are a lot scarier yeah oh wow huh yeah they're like very haunting and like you said just a second ago too what did the you know what would these children have to gain from telling this story and in a lot of instances it like ruined their lives yeah like especially with that girl her name was emily trim she told her parents and her parents were devout catholic or maybe not catholics but devout Christians mm -hmm. and they basically just dismissed it and said like that's not in the Bible mm. so it's not real yeah they pulled her out of the school moved the family back to Canada she was never able like to talk to anybody about this because people always thought she was crazy hmm. so that's interesting you think she is someone growing up coming of age like the internet age she might have found yeah. people online but yeah, like but growing up in one of those like much more conservative yeah. religious homes, kind of like under lock and key, mm -hmm. parents are already worried about, you know, what she said she saw. Yeah. So kind of the opposite of the Kelly Hopkinsville thing where they were m making money 
off of this encounter later. Mm -hmm. This girl was like, I would rather have that had not happened to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's definitely a weird one. It's interesting because I think you could really easily fall into either side of this story in, in terms of believing it or not believing it. Yeah, I think it's very clear which side I fall on. <laughs> I think I fall on the other side in this one. I think, I, uh, yeah. I will say Cynthia Hind, her interviews, she interviewed the children in groups, mm -hmm. which is not the best way to collect the story because it, 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 at that point it can become a game of telephone. Right. My defense of that is... They also noted that the children told similar stories, but not the same story. Mm -hmm. And like the metaphor I like to use is imagine you talk to two people who are at the same concert on opposite ends of the crowd, and they're going to recall the same concert if you ask them about it. But their individual experience and perception of it might be completely different. Right. For sure. Because of the people surrounding them, because of their own like angle of it whatever it may be yeah that's true so i think that's an important note that the children more or less told the same plot they had the same this thing landed we saw it this person talked to me or didn't talk to me depending on who it was but like the fact that there was no general consensus on whether one craft landed or multiple craft how many men came out some of the drawings the men don't have hair some of them they do mm -hmm. so there's like little inconsistencies that indicates that the children aren't just telling completely different stories. Yeah. But they're not just sharing the same story that they all collectively like decided on together. Right. I think that's a fair point because if their stories were too similar, that would feel right. Like suspicious rehearsed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, John Mack, I mentioned earlier, he's a professor of psychiatry at Harvard. Previously had won a Pulitzer Prize for his 1977 study, Lawrence of Arabia, A Prince of Our Disorder, The Life of T.E. Lawrence. But beginning in the early 90s, John Mack took a very, very deep interest in talking with people who claimed they had been abducted by UFOs. He published a book earlier that year in 1994, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. And Harvard actually conducted an investigation with the deans and a group of Max peers because he was lending credence to these stories. Mm -hmm. Right. To a patient. Right. Yeah. They basically wanted him to tell the patient that he they wanted him to diagnose him with something, mm -hmm. whether it was schizophrenia, whether it was. Um, some other psychological disorder. And the same thing happened when he talked to the children at the aerial school. They, the Harvard deans basically wanted him to say mass hysteria, mm -hmm. but he didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He actually, he believed what these children were telling him. And they, yeah, they were the ones, or he was the one that they mentioned the telepathic communication to. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. He also was on his way somewhere else in Zimbabwe at the time this story broke. 
to hmm. interview like a medicine man who claimed to have been abducted by aliens oh, and rerouted his trip huh. to come to the aerial school to talk to the children. Yeah. Seems like a bigger story. Makes sense. Yeah. So again, it's another one of those things. It's like you could argue he had something to gain because he was writing about it. Yeah. And obviously would, would sell books, but he was also already a successful man like to Harvard psychologist. I mean, that's a huge achievement. He had won a Pulitzer prize. It's not like he needed to put his name on the map. It was already there. Right. But I mean, he and, and Cynthia Hines are both like believers going into True. this, believing it. True. Which they definitely have a bias. I'm just saying, I don't think he has much to gain. I'd argue he risked more mm -hmm. by doing this than he gained from it. Hmm. But that's my piece about it. That's what <laughs> That's the story. I mean, the it the whole event lasted like only a few minutes. The thing came down. It presumably flew away. Yeah, presumably. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, like I said, though, a lot of these children as adults, there was this documentary that came out earlier this year called Aerial Phenomenon that interviewed some of the kids now, especially Emily Trim. Um, one of them was a British naval pilot who asked to remain off the record, but he said he stands by what he saw hmm. at the time. So it's not like years later, people are coming out and being like, yeah, no, that didn't actually happen. Yeah. Or like, oh, we all made it up. I mean, granted, those interviews likely would have been left out of the documentary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true. Because, again, the documentary definitely has a clear bias going into it, which is a fault of the filmmaker. Or they didn't get anybody who retroactively denied it. So it's. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when you're that that age, you're so impressionable. And if someone's like, this is what you saw, and adults are talking to you and kind of confirming this thing that was maybe a bit nebulous, you believe it more and more. And then you, I mean, that doesn't go away as you get older. True. Yeah. By those last rounds of interviews yeah. with John Mack, they had already spoken about it like three or four times. I'm sure they, I mean, I'm speculating a bit here, but I'm sure they started the interview saying, you know, I, I believe you. These people like are out there. Yeah. I'd be more curious about those Tim Leach interviews. Those yeah. initial BBC yeah, I think ones. he was more of a unbiased yeah. factor in all this. The evil eyes thing creeps me out. Yeah. It's interesting because they didn't seem like they wanted to hurt the children based on what they allegedly telepathically said. It was more like, this is a warning for your yeah, own they good. They were delivering a message yeah. to say like, hey, stop destroying your planet. Right. Which wasn't an evil thing to say right but i mean the mad like i like i said um the other episode about like i used to have nightmares about mm -hmm. aliens being like there's just something unsettling about those big soulless black eyes right yeah i mean yeah. terrifying and none of the kids were saying oh these spacemen talked to us like i said like a lot of them thought they were the goblins, goblins or yeah they, they didn't know they just called them men weird i don't know have my doubts yeah. yeah i will also say cynthia hind said the children likely didn't know about ufos or aliens or have technology at home rua really is not that far from a relatively thriving metropolis city mm -hmm. harare mm -hmm. um the kids did come from affluent families in the days preceding that event radio stations had been reporting on lights seen in the sky. Mm -hmm. And so there definitely was talk of, could these be UFOs? It's possible 
the children could have picked up on that as well. Yes. Yeah. John Mack was an environmental activist. So. Right. Those those lights in the sky were a satellite breaking up in the atmosphere. Right. Um, right. But at the time, people just saw it and kind of like, you know, freaked out. And Cynthia Hines was very aware of that going on. Yeah. Before this incident yeah. happened. Yeah. Have you ever looked at Emily Trim's UFO art? Not as an adult, I don't think. But I saw the children's art as, as children. Images. Oh, yeah. It's interesting because the one I'm looking at now, which is just it's a painting basically of a, of a black disc. It looks very sort of like what you would imagine aliens as like a broader cultural idea right. versus. Yeah, but she definitely Im- imbues her like current artwork with a lot more of that like dreadful feeling than a kid would be able to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's like more yeah. emotion versus I think they were just kind of drawing it was descriptive it wasn't right like this i mean yeah this one kid's drawing shows like an alien in a group of trees and like a, a group of like stick children yeah all with their arms up screaming there's another one by a different student that shows the alien almost like floating and his body's covered in polka dots and it has long black hair hmm. this one's just a black disc in a field of trees multiple yeah i mean yeah, all of the artworks available on Google if you just yeah. look it up. But there is like a lot of consistency between their stuff and then yeah, Emily Trim's current artwork and she posted on Instagram still to this day. Hmm. It's much more it's the same thematic elements that were present in all the children's artwork, but like much more disturbing and dark. Yeah. Cause she must be like in her thirties or forties now, if she was like seven, let's say yeah. before. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think like I said, you, you you can look at this story from two different angles and see something different. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's I think I think each argument is equally plausible and compelling, maybe more so than a lot of UFO stories. Well, there's there's a lot more going on in this story than the last two episodes we've talked about where people saw things. I mean, I, I guess it has more similarity to Kelly Hopkinsville than the Lake Michigan one. Right. Except that it was adults, mostly adults in Kelly Hopkinsville right. versus children. And just the, how much it was analyzed by adults. I think I think that's the interesting thing here that is maybe what causes my skepticism. It's children said this thing, their children, and then these adults came in, with the exception of Leach, who were very strong believers and wanted to believe and wanted this story to be a story. And how much their involvement, I just, that's that's my sticking point here, I think. Yeah, they definitely could have influenced a lot of what was said here. Right. I mean, the two things you brought up were like, Hind interviewed the children in groups, which seems like not the best way because you're sitting in a group of, let's say four child. A says a thing. Child B hears it. I don't know. Yeah. You don't want to be the one kid who goes, that's not true. Yeah. That's not what happened. Uh, These weird dynamics kids have. Yeah. And then the, the, the fact that the kids told the story and then Mac appears with with his agenda about the environment and stuff and then suddenly oh the aliens actually spoke to us too and they said these things that happened to align with what right. I'm like mm, i don't know like the, the sighting itself i think was very strange what happened after it i have less yeah. more questions about i yeah. guess i mean yeah the initial bbc interviews are definitely the most compelling evidence in favor of this being a ufo incident mm-hmm. i mean a lot of the stuff john mack did was on camera his interviews with the children were also filmed 
in them. It doesn't show him saying to them anything about the environment, but obviously we don't know what was said when cameras were not rolling. Yeah. And also I think if you're a child and you have this story and someone, you, there, you could, there could be like leading questions. Did it say sure. anything to you? Sure. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. I haven't seen the videotapes of him talking to the children, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I have. And I watched the documentary aerial phenomenon. I bought it. Oh. <laughs> um, it was the only way to watch it. It was only $10, though. Wow. It, it is. It's really interesting. In that documentary, Emily Trim goes back to the aerial school hmm. for the first time since she was a kid and witnessed this. And it's like a very big part of the story of it. It's her like trauma surrounding hmm. that event. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is like if this was a made up story entirely that the children came up with how why does it have such long lasting traumatic implications for somebody yeah and you you could you could apply that same line of thinking to kelly hopkinsville and like michigan in terms of people saw this thing it very deeply affected them and they never really changed their story i mean it affected her because she was so young and it was so traumatic right but people like the meteorologist in michigan and the the sutton family and Kelly, like they, this changed their lives, you know, changed their perspective sure, of yeah. things. Yeah. And usually not for the better. Right. Because it's a secret and it's like kind of shameful and it's not something people right. believe. Yeah. Because there, I mean, there are definitely people who have capitalized on fake UFO stories. Yeah. Or like I, even to kind of broaden the scope from fake paranormal stories or not necessarily even fake ones, but like you look at shows like Ghost Adventures or like Ghost Hunters, any of those like black and or like green and white night vision mm, yeah we're investigating this haunted house and oh, did you guys see that and then oh right. they pull out the spirit box and it's and they're like it said get out oh like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever it may be uh the idea yeah. of taking that and, and turning it into like a business has definitely been done before mm -hmm. but i think it it adds a lot of credence when someone seemingly has nothing to gain right. from this and has a lot to lose. I wonder how many other, I'm sure there's like a million, but other encounters where, where aliens allegedly like spoke to people like this versus just like showing up and, you know, or right. being seen in the sky. Cause this one also stands out for that reason. They have like a message and everything. Um, Definitely. I, yeah. I can't think of any, but I, I can't say I'm extremely like well-versed in UFO lore, aside from what we've discussed on the podcast. I mean, there's like abductions, but I think that's a different thing. An abduction versus aliens arriving and being like, hey, here's a message and then leaving. August 18th, 2009, ABC News, man claims aliens send him messages. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> it needs to be like more people. Definitely. Like this um, one. One night in 1997, over 600 witnesses. I think this is the Phoenix Lights. Hmm. But a, apparently a family. When were the Phoenix Lights? I'm going to double check that. But apparently a family in 1996 claimed to have been directly targeted by aliens and chosen. That was 1997. OK, yeah. Cool. Oh. Phoenix Lights. Hmm. So it was another really big one. Over 600 people said they saw lights in the sky in a strange formation, very similar to the Lake Michigan UFO incident. Yeah. It does make me wonder all the lights in the sky. You know, we, we talked about like what ancient people thought when they saw things in the sky they couldn't explain and yeah. a part of me wonders if like the lights in the sky thing is just some sort of natural phenomenon we've not we don't understand yet it's possible it's very yeah. possible we still don't know what dark matter is and that's hmm. most of the universe yeah so. i feel like 
maybe I was like naive before COVID. But I feel like one thing COVID taught me was like, oh, like we don't have all the answers for like things. Science. Very and, true. Yeah. Very true. I mean, we're writing about new, new discoveries every day. Every day. Yeah. It's a lot of what we do. So that's true. And I mean, like, especially like I alluded to earlier with this stuff, it's getting harder and harder to keep track of. Mm-hmm. And every day there seems to be a new new video released that purportedly shows a UFO or just the other day they held the UFO hearings where military intelligence officials were on record now saying, yeah, yeah the U.S. has recovered non-human craft. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people also angrily on on uh, X <laughs> saying <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Saying like saying like, well, stop saying non-human because that could mean that it's like a cat. And I'm like. If there are cat people out there flying <laughs> discs that move in a way we don't know, that's just as exciting. Yeah, I want to know about that. <laughs> like, Even if it's like regular cats flying discs, I want to know about that. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. People people are using that as like an example of like, well, just because it's non-human doesn't mean it's aliens. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> if cats Semantics, are building yeah. UFOs, like that, we should probably know about that too. We probably should. Yeah. One person was like, stop saying biologics. That could be a hamburger. And I was like, what? Again, if a hamburger is driving a car, I want to know about it. A regular car. It doesn't matter. Man. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see about that stuff. Or is it all being kept under wraps, perhaps by a seedy government organization mm. with a catchy theme song <laughs> could <laughs> written be, by Will could Smith? Be. Who are we talking about? It's the Men in Black. That's right. We're talking about the Men in Black next episode. Mm-hmm. Episode four. Yeah. yeah. Finale. And perhaps the reason that all of this has been kept under wraps for so long, though, admittedly, I'm fairly skeptical about them. Oh, all right. Interesting. All right. Great. I'm fairly skeptical about them. Well, we'll get into all of that uh, next time for our final episode in the podcast series about UFOs. Thanks for listening. This was episode three. Um, obviously, we talk about much more than just UFOs and aliens at all that's interesting. And you can check out yeah. all of that stuff. History, true crime, new discoveries, everything, anything interesting, which is the second time I made that joke today the last two hours (laughs) you can go to allsinteresting.com of course you can sign up for our newsletter by going to allsinteresting.com slash sign up or becoming a member at allsinteresting.com slash membership yeah and uh if you want to get in contact with us let us know about the show what you thought about this series in particular if you want to share any uh, stories of your own. Um, yeah, you can get in contact with us at podcast at all that's interesting dot com or leave us a voicemail at nine two nine five two six three zero two nine. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We sure would. Yeah. In the meantime, we'll talk to you next week with the men in black. Hello all, Eric Rivenus with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. 
Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers, and have a safe tomorrow.